Welcome to the Church Times podcast. Try 10 issues for £10 or two months access to our website and apps also for £10. Go to churchtimes.co.uk forward slash new hyphen reader. Behold, I am sending you as sheep among wolves, says Jesus as he commissions the 72 disciples to be his representatives in Israel. In doing so, he coins what we could call the defining metaphor for what it means to be a follower of Jesus. In the words of the African-American theologian Howard Thurman, Christianity's original and characteristic context is that of those with their backs against the wall. Ukraine is not a small country. But because of its renunciation of nuclear weapons and its heritage within the Soviet empire, its situation in the face of Russian invasion is that of a sheep surrounded by wolves, one with its back against the wall. I don't know if you ever get sent Jackie Lawson e-cards. I'm grateful for those who kindly remember me at Christmas, Easter and birthdays, but leaving the music to one side, I hope it doesn't sound ungrateful to say I have some issues with the theology of these cards. There's invariably a cosy church snugly abiding in a village, nestling before warm hearths, as a cheerful bird merrily brings a happy message down your chimney or through your front door. This is not a context the Bible understands. The Bible repeatedly portrays the people of God as beleaguered, under threat, oppressed, near despair. Nine times in the Bible we're given a picture of sheep in danger and God as the shepherd who is with them despite all. It comes up in Jeremiah, Ezekiel and Zechariah in all four Gospels and in 1 Peter. Most famously of all it's the subject of Psalm 23. Now just as it may surprise you to learn that 1 Corinthians 13 was not in fact written for weddings, it may be news to you that the 23rd Psalm was not actually composed for funerals. In fact, it may not be much of a stretch to say the 23rd Psalm was composed for the Ukrainian experience of death, destruction, horror and fear in the face of Russian invasion. We have many questions in the face of the horror of war and the shock of one European country invading another something we regarded as unthinkable. Psalm 23 doesn't answer our questions. Instead, it transforms our context. It turns our fear into worship. I want to explore with you now the four things Psalm 23 has to tell us that offer to shape our imaginations as we contemplate, intercede for and respond to the plight of the Ukrainian people. I say four things because Psalm 23 is arranged in seven parts as a chiasmus. That's to say the first part corresponds with the seventh part, the second with the sixth, the third with the fifth, leaving the fourth part like the point of an arrow, the central message of the psalm, which the other six parts all support. So as I go through the four main themes, I'll take the first and seventh together, then the second and sixth then the third and fifth, and finally the fourth alone. Let's start with parts one and seven. 
The Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want. I want to suggest to you that these words are all we need to perceive the theological issues at the heart of this crisis. We're so used to Crimond being played unbelievably slowly and the words, the Lord's my shepherd. And some of us have sung it so many times, it's lost almost all its power to move us. But look at it again. The Lord is my shepherd. No one else is. Not some strong man who tells a story of making Russia great again. A story based on mythical origins, ancient entitlement, unjust deprivation, enemies within, failure of will, restoration of destiny, inevitable struggle, final conquest and endless glory. We've heard such a story before. It was the story of the Nuremberg rallies. It was the story that swept Donald Trump to the White House. It's not a new story. It was the story Karl Barth and Dietrich Bonhoeffer rejected when they said, the Lord is my Führer. Stalin made Russia great. Okay, he killed 20 million or more people in doing so. There's bound to be casualties in a noble quest. That's destiny for you. Remember the chilling moment in the passion story when the crowd shouts, we have no king but Caesar. Let me put it as clearly as I can. Vladimir Putin is telling a false story. The true story is, the Lord is my shepherd. And then alongside that, just as crucially, I shall not want. The myth that captivates our world is that we haven't got enough. Our lives are saturated with advertising. How do I get YouTube for free? How do I get WhatsApp for free? How do I get Facebook for free? Because my choices and messages are all getting swept up to enable the providers to have extensive data for advertising. If I go online and research an exotic fruit from Mauritius, you can be sure tomorrow somewhere I'll be getting the chance to book a holiday in Mauritius buy travel books for Mauritius, meet attractive women from Mauritius. Advertising is based on the premise that we don't have enough. It finds your interests and wants and turns them into desperate and gnawing needs you can no longer resist. In what planetary universe does Russia need Ukraine? Look at the map. Russia is enormous. The size of the country defies comprehension. And now its leader thinks it doesn't have enough. Are you serious? How much conflict and war is based on the myth of not enough? Not enough is the basis of our insecurity. Martin Luther said the thief and the robber are heretics because they propound the false gospel that there isn't enough for you and me. So I must have yours. What does the psalm say? I shall not want. With God there is always enough, and always will be. In its first line, Psalm 23 goes right to the heart of the invasion of Ukraine. When we look at the end of the psalm, we see goodness and mercy shall follow me. This is so many kinds of wonderful. Who's pursuing Ukrainians now? So that four million have already left the country. 
In the psalm, it's goodness and mercy doing the hounding. You can't escape goodness and mercy. They'll get you in the end. All the days of my life. This is a forever thing. It doesn't run out. See the myth of scarcity again. God is not going to run out on us. Putin represents his war as a necessary thing because there's so much evil and only a strong man like him can overcome it. But God says, you will be beset, pursued, surrounded by goodness and mercy. Remember Hitler and his longing for Lebensraum. He claimed Germans needed living space. They were running out of room. What does the psalm say? I shall dwell in the house of the Lord my whole life long. You will never be short of space. You will always have a home in God. Don't give in to the rhetoric of scarcity. In God, there's always more than enough. The invasion of Ukraine is based on a lie, not just a historical lie, not just a cultural and religious lie, but fundamentally a theological lie. Now for the second part, coupled with the sixth part. He makes me lie down in green pastures. He leads me beside still waters. Let's go back to the fundamental setting of the psalm and of the Bible in general. There's a tension running through the Old Testament between Israel as a settled agrarian people following the cycle of the seasons in the promised land and the children of God as a wandering pastoral people accompanied by sheep who went with them wherever they wandered. The failures of Israel mostly came during the agrarian period where the temptations of the land took them away from dependence on God. Psalm 23 unequivocally assumes that Israel is a wandering people. Being a refugee is not an absurd, egregious departure from the norm. It's not that unusual. Here we have no abiding city. None of us get to stay put very long. My ancestors farmed this plot for centuries is always liable to become a form of idolatry. The good shepherd leads the sheep to where they can find food and drink. The food and drink doesn't always come to them. It's when we flip across to section six that we realize this part is fundamentally about food and drink. You prepare a table before me in the presence of my enemies. This is how you show wealth in the Middle East. In the West, you display power by having a magnificent mansion, a huge area of parkland around it, and a large limousine resting on the gravel drive, which you can scarcely see because of the iron gates that keep you out. In the Middle East, you show abundance by inviting everyone to a massive banquet where there's way too much food. The Good Shepherd gives the sheep all the food they need. Then the Good Shepherd has a banquet for the whole village. Note, by the way, that preparing food is a female role in biblical times, so God preparing a table is showing a female face of God. And again, this is a telling moment. God doesn't address enemies by destroying them with greater force. God invites them to behold a banquet where there's more than enough, enough for them too, and poses them the question, do you insist on continuing with the carnage deriving from your assumption of scarcity, or will you come and join this table of abundance? The now controversial Bishop George Bell stood up in the House of Lords in 1944 
and told the nation that if Britain continued with its carpet bombing of German cities, it would soon become no better than the Nazis and lose its moral right to win the war. People were so furious that it meant he never became Archbishop of Canterbury. But he was following the logic of Psalm 23. Are we allowing ourselves to descend into the scarcity of enmity, or are we preparing a table of abundance that all can join? Turning to parts three and six, we're faced with the question of where in the end we put our trust. In what lies our security? These are words that challenge us. The Lord has a rod and a staff. The rod is like an axe, an aggressive instrument that can be directed at an attacker. The staff is where we get a bishop's crozier today. It's a tool for picking up a branch or hooking in a leg to release a sheep from a tight ledge or a deep thicket. In other words, the Lord can protect us and the Lord can rescue us. But there are two other ways we trust in the Lord. He leads me in the paths of righteousness. The Lord is indeed a leader. There are many ways we can go and not all of them lead to still waters and green pastures. God beckons us. We can't pretend we don't know the good places to go. Which path leads to love, joy, peace, patience and kindness? Which path leads us to the hungry, the stranger, the sick, the prisoner? Which path leads to justice, mercy and humility? Paul, Matthew and Micah and many others give us plenty of indications where God's beckoning. But the fundamental form of trust is beyond protection, rescue and direction. You are with me. This is the revelation at the heart of the whole Bible. You are with me. That was what Moses discovered at the burning bush. That was what Isaiah discovered in the servant songs. That was what Shadrach discovered in the fiery furnace. That was what Mary of Nazareth discovered at the Annunciation. That was what Mary Magdalene discovered in the garden. That was what the disciples discovered on the day of Pentecost. Every single one of these people had their backs to the wall. They could all identify with the people of Ukraine right now. Which brings us to the central part to which the whole psalm is directed. Even though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I fear no evil. We all live fragile lives in the face of our own mortality. We act in solidarity together, providing health care and support to postpone death, take away isolation, understand fear. War reverses all of that. It hastens death, it dismantles solidarity, it destroys trust, it actively seeks the precise things we spend our whole lives trying to establish, which is why it's so horrific. It's not just the violence, the anger, the perpetual danger. It's the way war undermines and reverses the deepest principles of social existence. It's the worship of death. The central words of the psalm proclaim, I'm here too. God says, even in the valley of the shadow of death, there's no escaping me. I'm here. When the hands of two civilians buried in the rubble of a destroyed building meet and squeeze and thus find hope. I'm here when a father waves off his whole family on a train and wonders as he turns towards the conflict if they'll ever see him again. I'm here when a tank rumbles over a bridge and a cowering family hiding under the bridge wonder if they can hang on long enough for the tank to pass. I fear no evil. War is the hell of being separated from God, 
of dwelling only amid horror and destruction and the shattering cacophony of explosive death. I fear no evil because this is not the last chapter of the book and I know how the story ends and it's not with rocket launchers or 40 miles of tanks. It's with the things that populate this psalm, goodness and mercy, overflowing hospitality, abundant provision, safe home, the companionship of God. One hundred years ago, nearly to the day, my grandparents in their early twenties left Kiev, fleeing the evil of Stalin. They didn't flee their Ukrainian homeland together. They doubted they'd ever see each other again. By different routes, they made their way by 1926 to Berlin. There they married and had three children. They found goodness and mercy, but they also found the valley of the shadow of death. They fled the evil of Hitler in 1938. They were led to still waters and green pastures in the UK. There their daughter, my mother, met a man and married him and had four children, two of whom died, but two of whom survived. The second of those two surviving children was me. We read Psalm 23 today because we believe that Jesus is the shepherd it describes. Jesus is the one who in the feeding of the 5,000 leads us to green pastures. Jesus is the one who at Cana makes God's abundance out of our scarcity. Jesus is the one who on Maundy Thursday prepares a table in the face of his enemies. Jesus is the one who on Good Friday walks through the valley of the shadow of death. Jesus is the one who on the Mount of Ascension promises goodness and mercy will follow us all our days. In all these ways, we read Psalm 23 because it tells us the story of Jesus. We read it because it gives us the context for the heresies that characterize the invasion of Ukraine. But I read Psalm 23 because it's my story, the story of my family's search for green pasture and freedom from fear. This is a story so much bigger, so much deeper, so much longer than the story of Putin and the story of war. This is our story. This is our context, our eternal context. We read Psalm 23 because it's the story of forever. Thank you for listening to this week's episode of the Church Times podcast. You can find more news, analysis, comment and book reviews on our website, churchtimes.co.uk. If you are not yet a subscriber to the Church Times, you can try your first 10 issues for just £10. You'll get the paper delivered to your door every Friday, plus full access to our website and digital archive. Go to churchtimes.co.uk forward slash subscribe to find out more.